Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So we're continuing the series as we walk. We're walking through the last week of Jesus. And we're taking the, the specific events that happened within that week from as he's walking his journey to the cross. And so as we've looked at this, we, we now see Jesus. He is in Jerusalem. He's on his journey to the cross. And we're continuing to prepare our hearts to really experience the reality of what Jesus has done and how it impacts you, how it impacts me, and how it impacts the world around us. A lot of times the events of Easter and the events leading up to Easter, um, we, we, we become so familiar with them that we don't, we don't really receive um, the appreciation. We don't really see them for what they are. Um, it, we, we lose the, the, the thankfulness of the events because if you grew up in church or you've been in church for a while, you, you, you see them a lot. You hear them a lot like this every year. So you become familiar um, and, and you kind of lose the, the thankfulness about it. It's kind of like um, it, it's kind of like sometimes we can lose the thankfulness of like our spouse and what you appreciate about your spouse. And then, then you might hang out with another couple, no one from this church, but you'd hang out with another couple. And then afterwards on the way home, you go, I am so thankful for you that you're not like them, right? <laughs> not from this church. I'm saying other churches when you hang out with couples from other churches. So, so you, when what happens, you become too familiar with your spouse until you realize, oh, I've got a great spouse. I'm so thankful for you. When you become familiar with things, too familiar, you lose the awe and you lose the beauty and you use the, 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 the reality of how powerful they really are. So I want us to take some moments as we walk through this series. I want us to, to, to see what Jesus has done. I want us to become familiar with his account and not miss the person, not miss the heart, not miss the beauty of who Jesus is, the power of how he ministered and, and what he was doing leading up to the cross. And when you read these scriptures, I, I, I strive to see past the words. I strive to see past the, the, the normal. And I want, I want to see Jesus for who he is. I want to look him square in the eyes and see him for who he is. I just don't want to see it like a flannel graph. I want to see him for really who he is because he wants me to and he wants you to. And I want to see the person in the heart of Jesus. And when you do that, what it does is it keeps you tethered to the fact that God is not a formula. He's not, a, he's not some formula. As long as you work it, you're going to get forgiven. As long as you work it, you're going to get what you want. God is not a formula. I want to see Jesus as a person because he's not a formula. He's a relationship. He's, a, he's one that you, you can experience. He's one that you can draw near to. He's one that you can feel and sense and be close to him. He's one who draws you to his side. He's one who walks with you on your darkest day. And he's one who celebrates with you on your best day. That's what I want us to see. I want us to see him. I want us to grow. 
And when you look into the life of Jesus, there's, there's a lot of places in the scriptures that speak about Jesus. We, we read the stories and we love them about Jesus, about what he did and what, what, what he accomplished. John tells us about Jesus. John says, and this is the book we're going to be in today. John tells us that Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the bread of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the water of life. He's the true vine. He's the king. But there's only one place that we're told in the scriptures about what Jesus' heart is like. There's only one place. There's only one place that, that communicates to you and to me today who Jesus really is. He opens his heart, and in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, before we get to the passage today, this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Now he's speaking about a teaching. In those days, the Pharisees had teachings that were, that were heavy, they were works-oriented, and, and it was all about do this. And the yoke is what would be referred to as a particular religious group within Judaism that this is what they taught, and it was their yoke that was upon you. But Jesus said, my yoke, you should take it upon you. Let me teach you. Now listen, this is what Jesus said about himself. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching, is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. So as Jesus is making his way to the cross, we must look at these two aspects of what he says he's like. He says, I am humble and I am gentle. The difficulty with us understanding these words in, in our Western world and society is these two words, humble and gentle, have had a lot of different definitions attached to them. When we hear of someone being humble and gentle, we don't think of someone being strong and courageous. We think of someone being weak and, and maybe not, not able to, to, to really deal with life. They're, they're just humble and they're gentle. That is not what Jesus is saying about himself, nor is that the definition of these words. It, the word to be humble literally means to stoop low. Or another definition is to be willing to do something that no one else will do. To be willing to do something that no one else will do. This means that you could be humble and God place you in a, in a position of, of, of leadership where you have a lot of responsibility. And in, in that role, you stoop low and are willing to do things that no one else was willing to do. It could mean you would be in another position that maybe isn't as visible, but you are still willing to do things that no one else will do. This is not about visibility. This is about the attitude of your heart and your, your willingness to do things that no one else would do. And this is what Jesus said. 
He says, I have come to stoop low so that you can find rest for your souls. And there's something about this quality of humility that's very powerful, but the reality is it's really hard to fake humility. It's really hard. Because humility, it's actually not, it's not about even actions, it's about the attitude of your heart. I mean, you can fake kindness. I can do something kind to you, but on the inside think I don't like you at all. I'm just doing this to be seen and to look like I'm kind. I can fake patience. We do this all the time. When we raise children or when we, while you're sitting in a sermon, you can fake patience, (laughs) right? You can fake wealth, you can look like you've got wealth, but you don't. You can fake happiness and be miserable on the inside. You can fake poverty. You can fake excitement. I mean, we do this every every Christmas or every birthday. Oh, thank you. But you can't fake humility. And when you try to fake humility, it quickly reveals actually you're prideful. It's, it's, a, it's an oxymoron. You, you, humility is not a, it's not a, a manifestation. It's a, it's a spirit, an attitude of the heart. It's kind of like uh, I said I wasn't going to tell this joke in this uh, service, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, it's like, the, it's an old church joke and it's really stupid, so I'm gonna tell you anyway. It's like uh, the story of, of this church and they, they had a special moment one Sunday because they wanted to honor someone in the, in the congregation for their humility. And so they invited this precious man up and they had a, a box and they opened it up and it, there was a button in there, it says humble. And so they gave it to him, and, and it, was, it was so, he felt so honored, and so they wanted to honor how humble he was. The issue is, the next Sunday, they had to take it away from him because he wore it. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> and there, there's something about, though, this quality of humility that it just can't be manufactured. You just can't do it. And the truth about humility and what we see Jesus act and the passage we're about to read, we're gonna see the heart of our Savior. The truth about humility is the one who has it doesn't even know it. True humility comes from a regenerated heart. It comes from a a spirit of a person who's been transformed by the blood of Jesus. They're different. And so we see this, this display of humility by Jesus as he he is wading deeper and deeper and deeper and to the depths and the shadow of the cross 
And we have this incredible display. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And the Bible reads, it was just before Passover, the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, I want you to just catch these words. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Now I want you to catch this. Though not every one of you is clean. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus stops and he asks the question, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, look at this, friends, you also should wash another's, one another's feet. I'm going to read that again. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. This is... Right before Jesus is betrayed, this is a moment that is very important to Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus flips human tendency on its head. He flips human temptation on its head. And many times, even our acts of mercy or our acts of compassion can really stem from, from the desire to be a better person or from the desire to, to remain even in God's favor. Or many times the, our actions of mercy, our actions of compassion is to make ourselves feel better. They can be selfishly motivated. Many times our acts that we do from our human brokenness is because we're keeping a ledger. 
Our, our, we are, our, our comparisons with other people, with ourselves, with our spouses, with our family members, other people in the church. And many times, even the good works that are in our life are, are tallied. We, we keep track of them. Why? Because our humanistic religion tendencies are really to be legalist. At the end of the day, as we lay our heads down, we run through the checklist of what I did, and since I did that, therefore, I'm good. But that's not the way God thinks. Human religion says this, look deep inside of yourself and you'll find the strength to live a life of service to others. But that's not what Jesus says. He just told them, you should now wash one another's feet. In other words, you should now have this spirit and attitude as I do. And Jesus says, to live a life of service to others. Jesus says, you need to look not to yourselves. You need to look to me. I will show you the path of serving others. And I, it is I who will give you the strength to live selfish selflessly. It is Jesus that sets the example. It is Jesus that at this moment, he tells them to do things that they're not even thinking about at the time. And what Jesus is doing, he is, he is laying the groundwork, the foundation of the way his kingdom is going to work. It's not going to work about you looking inward to find your strength. You're going to live a life in my kingdom by looking to me to find your strength and to find the example and to also find the grace for your heart to be softened so that then you can wash one another's feet. Jesus is speaking about the work of grace in the life of a believer. Now, this is Jesus. He begins to wash their feet. This is Jesus, the one by whom all things are made through and for and by. The one through one word of his mouth could melt the sun. And here he's cleaning the disciples' feet. Here, Jesus is moments away from being stretched out on a cross that's been fashioned by a tree that he made to be nailed and hung to that cross through the elements of iron that he created within the earth. He's moments away from this and he stops in the middle of that journey to the cross to wash the feet of his disciples. I want us to, to feel the weight of this teaching by Jesus. I, I, I want us to, to understand how close he is to his most excruciating hour in time. I want us to understand that in these moments, Jesus didn't, didn't go to his friends for 
encourage, hey, will you lift me up? Will you encourage me? Will you, will you, will you speak life to me? Will you, he, we, we don't see that. He then, he turns this on its head and before he goes to the cross, he says, I've got to teach them something. So in chapter 13, Jesus, he's ending his public ministry. No, he's not going to preach anymore out on the streets. He's not going to heal any, anyone else. He's not going to restore dignity to the lost and to the broken. He's not going to cast out the demons. He's not going to, to heal the sick and draw big crowds. It's over. And so as he gets closer to the cross, he takes this private moment with his disciples, takes them in a room by themselves. These are the men who are going to carry the gospel throughout all the world. These are the men, the reason that you and I are here today. And he privately sets them aside. And he privately, before the final hours of his crucifixion, and he teaches them something. He teaches them the way that things are going to be done in this new kingdom. This is more than just an act of demonstrating his love for them. He's making a point to them. And friends, he's making a point to us. And Jesus is saying this. I do not forget that in my kingdom, no one is above serving others. In my kingdom, no one is above serving others. This is Jesus. This is, this is the one who, if he wanted to have pride, he could. He lived a perfect life. No one else lived a perfect life. He had, he had accomplished great things. Man, he had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. He had drawn thousands of people. He had taken two fish and five loaves and, and somehow blessed it and it ended up feeding these people. Out of anybody who could have picked up some pride and began to, to you know, live their life from, from a sense of, of accomplishment, it would have been Jesus. That's not what he's doing. He's about to endure the cross and he's, ex he's setting an example, friends, for followers of himself on how to live. And he's setting this first example. I, I want us to hear this, and this can be shocking for us Westerners in this Western church. That he's saying in my kingdom, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, no one is too good to serve others. No one has ever arrived at such a position. Well, that's beneath me. Oh, that's something for someone else to do. This is the one of whom prophecy had spoken of from Genesis. This is the one, Jesus, who is, has come. This is the one who has all power, all authority. This is the one who will return again one day as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is bowing at the feet of his disciples, washing their feet. He's saying this, church, this is what real ministry looks like.
at his greatest hour, he's washing feet. So just go with me for a moment. You guys with me today? Jesus is at this meal. It's going on. It's happening. You got the busyness of the meal. And, and he gets up from supper. And he all of a sudden started doing something that's totally unrelated to Passover. That what he's, what he's doing is not in the instructions of Passover. So he gets up. He does something that's unrelated and then he comes back to the table. And you wonder, why would Jesus do this? Why would he get up and wash their feet? Like, what was going on? Like, what, 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 what point was he making? Well, if, if you don't look at the full context of the Gospels, you can miss it. Because in the book of Luke, we have recording, we have a, a Luke recorded what, was, what the conversation was at that time. Now, I, this is so fascinating. And once you see it, now you understand. And Luke 22 says this, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat the Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. For it has been determined that the son of man must die. So now he's speaking of his death. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him. Now he's speaking about Judas, who's in the room. The disciples began to each, to ask each, each, each other, which of them would ever do such a thing. So like, I, I mean, is it me? I mean, they're just being honest. Am I the one who's going to betray you? Is it you? God, please, oh, Jesus, please tell me, because if it's me, I, I, like, help me. I, I'm going to repent. I, I, I don't want to betray you. But then it moved quickly from that point to verse 24. They, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Huh. So here's Jesus. One of his last private moments with these disciples. And it's at this meal, Jesus begins to talk about his blood. He talks about the new covenant. He tells them, now you to do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples are full of pride. Full of pride. Disciples are, yeah, but which one? Which one of us is the greatest? No, I think it's me. I think it's me. No, it has to be me. They're arguing who's the best, who's the smartest. Well, you know, I have an extra year of education. I have an extra letter at the end of my degree. You know, I'm really the only one that knows what's going on. I'm really the only one who understands end time events. I'm really the only one that understands the power of healing. I'm really the only one that gets what salvation is. I'm really the only one that understands predestination. I'm really the only one that understands the Bible. I'm really the only one that knows that King James Version is really the only scripture there is to read. And they're, and they're positioning themselves. No, I know more. No, I know more. No, I'm the greatest. He likes me more. Then John writes in the book of John, when he's speaking of himself, the one whom Jesus loved. Friends, just newsflash. 
They're just like us. And Jesus stops in the middle of this meal. And he, get, he gets a, a basin of water and he gets a cloth and he takes his outer clothing off and he takes the role of a servant and he positions his cloth like a servant would to wash the feet of those who would come into a house. It's, it's custom that when you would be invited into a meal, as you come into a person's home, there would be someone there appointed as a servant of that house to wash your feet as you came into the house. Now, they didn't have paved roads. They were walking in the dirt. There were contaminants on them. But the one who would wash the feet of an individual that would come into a room would be considered one of a lowly position. Not someone, listen, nobody is, is rushing. No, no, I'm, I'm going to wash the feet. No, nope, I'm going to get it. No, nope, no, nope, no, I got it. I got to get back. I'm going to be the greatest and wash feet. They know that. It's a lowly position. As I read through this, I thought, oh, how the nature of every one of us is displayed at this meal. Everybody was fighting over the throne and nobody was fighting over the towel. And for a moment, they're fighting who's the greatest, who's the most prestigious, who should be seen the most, who should be on the platform, who should be actually not seen. Who should get the, more the most teaching time? Who should get the most platform time? Who should be the secondary leader when Jesus isn't here? Who should be the, the one telling the other disciples what to do? Who really doesn't need to be around other believers because they're close enough to Jesus? It's just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus in my prayer closet. Me and Jesus in the Bible. I don't really need any other believers. I don't really need church. I don't need a pastor. I got Jesus. Arguing over who really gets Jesus, who really understands Jesus. Arguing really which, which YouTube video that they believe is more right than the other. Who really understands the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. And the reason they were arguing over who was the greatest was because each one of them thought they were. What's the point of arguing? Why not just agree? You think you're the greatest? Okay. The only reason why you would argue who the greatest is because you think you is. Each one of them thought they knew the things that should really be done, really be focused on. 
And so this is the setting in the midst of turmoil and chaos and arguments. It's, it's the actual Greek word. It was a verbal argument. I don't know if you've ever been around Israelis or Italians, very similar. You think, and if, if you're, if, if you're like, listen, white boy like me, Midwestern, all of a sudden the conversation, first you're like, well, I like this. And then you're like, I think they're going to kill each other. <laughs> it's the passion and the, they're, they are, they are, they're convicted that they're right. So in the midst of this and frustration and positioning, all this is happening. All of a sudden in the background, you begin to hear a sound. It's, it's faint of some pouring water and splashing water. And then in the midst of their pride, Jesus comes over and he kneels down. Kneels down to Matthew and and all of a sudden, in, in the middle of Matthew's positioning, he feels warm water going over his feet. And then Jesus takes the towel that's positioned like a servant, and he, and he dries his feet. Then he moves to John. About this time, disciples notice what's going on. It's like almost at once, it's like the room goes from chaos to just quiet. It's like the air is just sucked out of their egos and they've been deflated. It gets quiet. And now the sound of the, the water running over the feet and the movement of the, of the, the basin is, the sound is deafening. And at every moment, Jesus washes and dries. Another wave of conviction comes over their hearts. And it hits them all at once. Jesus, who's the greatest, is being the servant. There was no doubt in that room who the greatest was. That wasn't the argument. They knew Jesus was. And this is humility. You see, Jesus didn't announce his humility. He didn't say, hey, everybody, I'm about to show you humility. He didn't take a selfie next to the basin. Hashtag, humble, gentle. <laughs> Hashtag, server's going to serve. <laughs> no pictures, no announcement. He just did it. This wasn't about being seen like the Pharisees, as we read in the scriptures, who are all about wanting to be heard, 
Their prayers are long and drawn out. What they wear demonstrates how righteous they are. And they got leather strapped to their forehead and their arm and their, and their flowing robes. And everything is about public spectacle of how humble I am. When they would go and give their offerings, they, they, what they did is if they had, let's say, $50, they would break that up into like a bunch of coins. So when they could go in and give their offering, it'd be like they give it slowly. Clank, 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 so that everybody knew how humble they were. And Jesus was letting them know at this hour and letting us know, in my kingdom, no one is above serving. And the second lesson is this. In my kingdom, no one is below being served. Let me ask you a question. How many pairs of feet were in that upper room at Passover? 13, including Jesus, 12 would be the disciples. In this passage, we read, we're reminded of the upcoming betrayal of Jesus. Jesus says, before I'm going to be betrayed, they go, who, me, me, you, who is it? And what we know is that later that night, Judas would lead the temple authorities to find Jesus. What we know is Judas will make it possible for them to arrest Jesus secretly and lead him away to trial, which would lead to his crucifixion. The disciples didn't know it was Judas because earlier they, they were trying to figure out who it was. <laughs> As Jesus, is it me? There was one disciple who didn't ask Jesus that question. Judas. There were two people in that room that knew who was going to betray their Savior. Jesus and Judas. I can't imagine Judas's heart when he hears Jesus tell Peter, Peter, you are all clean but not every one of you are. And I can't imagine as Jesus made his way from Peter who, I mean, each one of these guys had some character flaws. Peter, I mean, it's like the only time he took his foot out of his mouth was to put the other one in. It's just, he was just like, Jesus loved him. Matthew had come from this past of ripping off the Jewish people. John liked rubbing how, how much Jesus loved him in the face of the other disciples. I mean, they all have their character flaws. And Jesus makes his way to Judas. 
And I don't know what's going through his mind. But Jesus had called him earlier. Jesus had, Judas just didn't show up. Jesus said, Judas, come and follow me. And Judas said, yes. Jesus had ministered to Judas. Jesus had given him the authority that God had given him. He had commissioned him to give him the power to preach in the name of Jesus. Judas had seen Jesus calm the storm. He's seen Jesus cast out the legion of demons. He's seen Jesus forgive people's sins. He's seen Jesus tell a man, pick up your mat and walk. And he went jumping and leaping. He's seen it all. He saw Jesus take two fish, five loaves, pray, bless it and then give it to the disciples, which would have included Jesus. And Jesus said, now you go feed them. Judas would have been tearing off bread and giving it to people and then being like, whoa, where'd this come from? And then doing it more, oh, man, this is crazy. Peter, you see that this is nuts. And the food just kept going and Judas goes, wow. But this moment, In the beginning of this passage, it says that Jesus loved his own disciples until the end. Jesus could have removed Judas earlier in the meal. He could have said, Judas, you go and do your thing. But he waited. I believe for this moment. And I believe Jesus wanted to take a moment bow before Judas and let him know I still love you I know what you've done I still love you and this is the humility of the Savior that we have in your failures in your brokenness in your disappointment in yourself, in your acts of anger, in your acts of the flesh, in your things you're embarrassed of, the things that only God knows. What this tells you today is that Jesus still loves you. He still cares for you. He's still the humble servant that washes your feet and does for you what you can't do for yourself. Cheryl and I have a friend who um, wrote a beautiful song. Her name is Elizabeth Goodine. She's worked with, uh, her and her husband worked with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and beautiful songwriter, just the purest of the pure. And she wrote a song about this moment. Um, I had been preparing this message and I was like, oh, I think Elizabeth wrote a song about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And so um, we got the song from her daughter last night, Cheryl did. 
And I had forgotten that the song was actually all about the interaction between Jesus and Judas. And so I'm going to read it to you today. And the song's called The Servant. And it says, verse 1, first he went to Peter, then he went to John, then to all the others, each one by one. I was almost hoping he'd forget about me. But he knelt in front of me and he said, can I be your servant? Can I wash your feet? Let me give you honor. You are dear to me. Here's a cloth and water. I'll attend your need. Can I be your servant? Let me wash your feet. And then again, this is from the perspective of Judas. Since I began to tremble, I couldn't face his eyes. I would soon betray him. I was full of lies. I would make some money in my old selfish way. So I could not bear to hear him say, can I be your servant? Can I wash your feet? Let me give you honor. You are dear to me. Here's a cloth and water. I'll attend your need. Can I be your servant? Let me wash your feet. The bridge says he knew where I had been. He knows what I had done. He knew it all, and yet I can't believe he cared enough for me to say, Judas, can I be your servant? Here, let me wash your feet. Let me give you honor. You are dear to me. Here's a cloth and water. I'll attend your need. Can I be your servant? Let me wash your feet. This is our Savior on his way to save all of humanity. Regardless of what you think God is like, if it doesn't have this definition in it, that's not God. God sent his son to humble himself, even to death on the cross. Not for his sake, for your sake, for my sake. This is what... This is what this, this week is all about leading up to the resurrection of Jesus. It's recognizing it is God who did all the work for you. Because you couldn't do it yourself. And so he humbled himself. He didn't consider his position as God to be something to be grasped. He came to be a servant for you.
This is the beauty of our Savior. And this is the example he left for us. To serve one another like Jesus served the disciples. It's very hard. You can't do it in your own flesh, but you can do it through the empowerment and the, and the regeneration of your heart that comes through your faith in Christ and your submission to him. As you see, your submission to Jesus is not one. He's, he's waiting for you to submit so he can demand and take things from you. No, our Savior is the one who wants to give things to you. And he says, can I be your servant? Can I wash your feet? Let me give you honor. You are dear to me. Here's a cloth and here's water and I will attend your needs. Can I be your servant? Can I wash your feet? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the truth. I want to thank you for this incredible account of who you are. Lord, we come today and we are deeply humbled, challenged to the core, that this was the example you set, but it first was demonstrating what you came to do for us. And so, Lord, I, I sense there's two parts right here. The first is for those of us who have never really allowed you to wash us fully. We've never really allowed you access to washing, God. This isn't about feet. This is about our whole lives and our hearts. We've never allowed you to actually cleanse us and forgive us because we've never said, Lord, cleanse me and forgive me. And Lord, I know there are people here today who do not know you, but they have been impacted by the truth of who you are. They have been sharply cut to their hearts that all false ideas of who you are have fallen to the wayside. And you are standing before them now and you're saying, can I wash? your heart can I cleanse your soul can I give you honor because you're so dear to me and if you're here today and you would like the Lord Jesus if you would like to come into alignment and agreement and answer that question with a yes that you want him to cleanse you and forgive you and give you a new life. Nobody is looking around. If that's you here today, will you just raise your hand right now, right where you are before God and just lift it up just for a moment. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Some of you, 
you know this is what God's saying to you. Your heart is beating out of your chest right now. I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit saying that he's giving you an invitation. He won't force you. He won't make you. But friend, I don't know when the next time will be when you will feel what you're feeling right now. This is the opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus and for you to be secure eternally and for you to begin a journey with God. And if you didn't raise your hand, I'm gonna ask you one more time, nobody's looking around. Will you raise it right now and give your life to Jesus? God bless you, thank you. Thank you, God bless you. Many hands. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. The Bible says that if you will believe and confess that you will be saved. And so we're all gonna pray together and if this is your prayer and you want it to be your prayer and maybe you didn't even raise your hand and you wanna pray this, God just needs your cooperation. And so let's all pray together, say, Jesus, wash my heart. Cleanse me from my sins. I repent. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I'll put my trust in you today. Thank you for being the humble servant to serve me. And I submit myself to you today. I will follow you as you give me the ability. Help me on this journey. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me a new start. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. I do, if we can, let's stand to our feet. Um, I do wanna close just by praying a prayer of a confession that how many here would like some more Jesus humility in your life? Amen? Only he can do it. And I'm just gonna pray that God would, through his spirit, just do something fresh and new in us. That who we are is not about us, it's about him and that we would submit ourselves to him. So if you can, just lift your hands to the Lord as we dismiss and just, if you agree with me, come into agreement with this prayer. Father, today we recognize that we want more humility in our life. The humility of Jesus, the humility of your son. What we've seen demonstrated in this passage has rocked us and convicted us. Lord, today I confess I am prideful. I confess I need to submit myself. But Lord, I also confess I recognize that humility is the life of absolute freedom because it's not about me anymore. It's about you. So Lord, today I ask you that you begin to do heart surgery in my heart and my mind that God, I would begin to walk in your power and your anointing in the spirit of humility. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what this says to us. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, may you bless your people today as they leave. May you prosper them. May they have a revelation of your spirit and power, fresh and new. May you restore everything the enemy has stolen from them. God, I pray that you would heal broken hearts. You would set the captive free. And that today, God, there's the spirit of your freedom would be manifested in every person's life as they leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. God bless you.